like using the BLJ to reach Bowser in the sky. So are the games of our lives. Oops, I just yahooed Mario three miles off the platform again. These are the games of our lives. Mario and Pokemon and all the games that took us to another place and made us want to keep playing all night. These are the games of our lives. Welcome everybody to the Games of Our Lives podcast, a podcast where we talk about the games we played growing up and how they changed our lives. My name is Bill, and accompanied by me today is the wonderful, fantastic, now and then, 64. Hello, hello. How you doing? How you doing? Martin, welcome in the phenomenal streamer on Twitch at now and then 64. You guys should go check him out. That's all I'm saying. Let's do as the man says. Before we dive into the news, I do want to just clear up one thing. If you are a longtime listener, you may notice that there is one fewer voice than normal here and that is because tony is not present he has a video game related injury and is on the ir right now but the plan is for him to be back at some point this season the coaches and training staff are every minute attending to his needs so we're hoping to see him back on the field soon now why don't we just do what we normally do here on the games of our lives podcast and To start an episode, let's just jump into the news. Let's do it. So we are going to start off by talking about Splatoon 3. Splatoon 3 had its worldwide demo Splatfest this past weekend, where players could sign up for one of three teams, Team Rock, Team Paper, or Team Scissors. People had some reactions. The the game itself was really fun, and it's, it's classic Splatoon, where you just have to splatter as much goop as possible onto the opponent's territory and whoever splutes the most wins in classic rock paper scissors only one team can be left standing now you did not play the splatoon 3 splatfest is that correct uh i have actually zero splatoon experience whatsoever making me me an ideal guest to talk about it because i'm completely neutral here's the question did you play call of duty as a teenager and early 20s person I did not. I'm not really a huge shooters person. What I would say is, from everything I've seen of Splat 2, uh, it looks really fun. And and Splatoon 3 looks really fun as well. This could be the moment that I join Ooh. the Splatoon world. Because uh, I, really, I thought it looked like a good, good fun. And everyone I've spoken to since then, yourself included, has been uh, you know full of cautious praise, I guess I would say. I think that's the best way to put it. I've personally played both of the previous Splatoons, and I historically get really into them for about a month and a half to two months and then drop the game and never play it again. Uh, Did that with Splatoon 1, did that with Splatoon 2, so I can't wait to do that with Splatoon 3. Now, if you were to pick a team, Team Rock, Team Papers, Team Scissors, what would you choose and why? Well, because of The Simpsons, I can only say good old rock. Nothing beats that. So it's got to be it's got to be Team Rock. Well, you would have chosen wisely because Team Rock were the winners of of Splatoon 3's demo Splatfest. Bart was right. He was right this whole time. Look at that. See, you chose wisely. Now, people are a little bit salty 
about the Splatoon demo because if you did choose Team Scissors, that meant that your team was in the lead at halftime. And then once halftime struck, the game mode switched where instead of one team versus one team, it became one team versus two teams. And basically, Team Scissors got sandwiched between rock and paper. So I guess between a rock and a flimsy place. Ah, oh, so close, so close. I love it. But that, so hang on. So Scissors were leading at the halfway point, And because of that, rock and paper basically both went after Team Scissors. Is that is that fair to say? So at the halftime report, uh, the team that was in the lead, uh, a game mode was introduced at halftime, basically, where it was one team of four players from the leading team against two groups of two players from each of the teams in the, the behind area there. Right. So right. it became Team Scissors versus Team Rock and Team Papers in these. It's still 4v4, but the battles were a little bit more skewed towards the underdogs. And unfortunately, because of that, Team Scissors did eventually come in last place in this Splatfest. So there may be some balance tweaks that need to come through. Uh, I personally felt like there were a little, a couple little things that really threw favor towards the losing teams, which makes sense. But for for it to be like a six hour out of the 12 hour window feels like a little much. So I feel like there's going to be some Splatfest tweaks moving forward. Yeah. But yeah. overall... You know, the regular game modes are so fun. Like, I personally, the Splatfests are fine to me. But it's it's really like the the other things where you're just squatting up with your friends. Either just playing casual mode, doing some of like the, the more pro gamer modes. Or even the Salmon Run, which is like a horde mode. Like a survival horde situation. Those are where Splatoon shines to me. So, while I think the Splatfest was great... It made me more excited for the rest of the game that's come going to come around it, and I, I recommend it. I can sympathize, I think, with the the Team Scissors people feeling that they were essentially punished for being successful in the early stages of the game, and then kind of having the rug pulled out from under them. I can kind of understand a degree of. Uh, annoyance at that but i guess all i would say is look it was a 12-hour demo don't worry about it right just let we i'm sure we can all move on with our lives and uh get over this huge setback the biggest thing all of the experience that you gained during the splatfest none of it carries over to the full release on september 9th so so it doesn't matter realistically yeah the points are made up and nothing matters if you were team rock i do think of you less as a person (laughs) <laughs> That's all. It's like no salt. It's just it's just facts. <laughs> no rock salt. Am I right? Ah! So, you know, it's just one I made up there. That's good. That's good. Speaking of, you know, covering things in ink, Pokemon launched a new a new Pokemon this week. There is a a graffiti monkey, I think is the best way to call him, Grafii, who literally splatoons trees and rocks. And jumps around. Uh, Martin, what are your thoughts on this this new character, Grafii, coming in? It, uh, it made me th- think of a bush baby because of the big eyes. It's got mm-hmm. these, big, uh, these big luminous eyes. And it, is it, it's kind of like almost like a weird little robot kind of thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. This is probably going to be the first main Pokemon generation that I will, will play since 
Diamond and Pearl, the original release on DS. Oh, wow. Okay. I've not played anything beyond that in terms of the regular series games. I've only played kind of some of the offshoots. Um, but this one I think looks really fun. It's coming to Switch. It sounds like they're kind of really going for it. It sounds like uh, Arceus Legends was a bit of a trial run for the opening opening the world up a little bit and making it a little bit less uh, linear, which I think has been... I think if there's been one complaint about these games in general, it's that they they are very familiar. Once you're in, you know, once you've played one of them, they feel very similar in the beats that they go through and the way that they allow you to progress in that, in a, in a quite linear way. So I'm kind of interested to see how they implement it. I think the the setting looks really fun. And and in terms of the, the new Pokemon they're showing, I think every generation we kind of get the feeling they've gone as far as they can in terms of design. And you wonder what, how can they possibly think of anything that they've not previously done? But God love them every single time they manage to find some new designs that we've not seen. So yeah, it, uh, I think it looks pretty funky. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to, to, to get in and, and see what they can do. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you have a version in mind that you plan on getting between Scarlet and Violet? Or are you going to double dip? Oh, I won't get both. That's uh, no, I, I'm you've got to really really love pokemon to get both i think and i and i, I like pokemon normal a normal amount but uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm not going to be the kind of person who's going to like trade with people or uh, well actually i guess i might be able to on this one because they'll yeah you'll be able to do that with some decent online capabilities you see my, my mind's still stuck in the the late 90s where you need like a link cable and need to <laughs> someone IRL who you can actually uh, join up with and swap Pokemon with. But I su- assume that trading will be a bit easier uh, in this day and age. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, w- I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure whether I get Scarlet or Violet. Uh, I might kind of take a look and see which Pokemon are exclusive. And, and honestly, that sure. will probably be mostly based on which ones I like the look of. It's not. And oh, and if either of them have got Marowak in, that'll be an instant buy. There you go. Maybe they'll come out with a new uh, Paldean Marowak, but that remains to be seen. That would be incredible. But yeah, no, we we like Grafi Eye. Now, I Eye is a character from Super Monkey Ball. Super Monkey Ball is made by Sega. Sega has a new game coming out this fall called Sonic Frontiers. That was so smooth. Uh, I, I try. So I try. Sometimes it's way harder than other times. <laughs> but we've got Sonic Frontiers coming through, and they launched a gameplay demo, a video. Now, you can't play it. It's just a video of uh, Sonic roaming around this new area. And I will say the game continues to surprise me every time I see new footage of it. I don't. It, it's, it just gives me a lot of like, I don't know. I still don't know what to expect and yeah. how enjoyable this game is going to be. What are your thoughts on this trailer? Yeah, I agree. It's I, I, I think I thought the trailer looked really fun. I thought the the way it looks like you can kind of string together combos of moves. I think that looks like a real laugh. It it looks great. I think like the settings, the the environments look really good. Obviously, when it was first shown, the initial the first look immediately got the reaction, not entirely unjustifiably, I think, of Sonic of the Wild, right? Like that was that was a big reaction, right? They must have known that that was coming. Like it, it had to either be deliberate, or I don't know. Like because when you look at some of the similarities, it's not just 
big open fields. It's things like, even in this more recent footage, there's the things that kind of look like the Guardians from uh, from Breath of the Wild. They've got the, yeah. the they lock on, they've got the, 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 they shoot the beam at you, it's pink, you know, it's, there, there are things that are, it can't be coincidence. They must be content to invite that comparison. And, and now that's only a good idea if your game is really good. So hopefully that's confidence and not misplaced confidence. Now, I think that the, the footage that we've seen come out more recently doesn't look as Sonic of the Wild anymore. And, and I think they've been able to show what it's really going to look like in terms of the actual gameplay, which I think looks pretty good. But I could imagine myself saying that about Sonic 06 as well before that came out. Do you know what I mean? Like if I'd just seen their selected footage... My, I think my biggest fear about this game is, especially with the new trailer, I just wonder how much dead time is going to be in this game where it's just time spent of Sonic running across like a two mile wide field <laughs> to yeah. reach a new landmark. And, and it does look in some places a little sparse and it looks a little empty for something that you would expect from a, a title like Sonic, you know, mm. an IP that big you'd think that the world would be a little bigger for for as I'll say it Sonic doesn't move that fast in the scheme of this world it seems and I wonder I wonder if like you get like a like a super speed type thing at some point in the game because right now it just feels like Sonic's a little slow and it it looks just like a little basic to me I don't know if you if you're banking on Sonic to be one thing, you would really want it to be fast, wouldn't you? Like that that's that's right. really the bare minimum we would ask for is for him to be fairly nippy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think the footage they released so far has been very carefully curated. I would say, and sure. I'm sure there's a lot more to come. I'm, I'm I would really love it to be good. I would I would love to be excited about buying and playing that game, um, and right. I think. We, we've all just had our fingers burned one too many times. And I know that some people are avowed supporters of many of the, the Sonic games of the last few years. And, and look, if, if, they, if people have enjoyed them, fantastic. My impression of them has been very, uh, I've been very cool on them, you know, and I would really love to be excited to play a Sonic game like this. And, and I hope that when it comes out, it's awesome and I can do that. Yeah, I, I think the last 3D Sonic game that I ended up playing was Sonic Heroes. And, <laughs> you know, that's, what, a 20-year-old game now? And was dreadful, I thought. Right. It, it, listen, the last Sonic 3D game that I enjoyed playing was probably Sonic Adventure 2. And even that game is not without its own sins. That is a deeply flawed platformer but it had chow garden which is godlike now if sonic frontiers introduces a chow garden all things are forgiven straight to the top of a tier list right yeah okay. like the, the game becomes game of the year uh you know move <laughs> over pokemon move over literally anything else like get out of here it's it's chow garden season baby if they can find a way to uh incorporate the chemical plant zone music from sonic 2 then we're we're, we're off to the races Honestly, that's one thing that I'm very hopeful for is even if Sonic's had some some misses when it comes to gameplay, usually the music is just bangers. I, I, I hope that that can continue. I get a little nervous because what kind of music are you going to implement in a giant, desolate, open desert? I, I'm sure they'll figure it out. 
that footage didn't have any music on it, right? Like they haven't finished it, so they didn't put Correct. any placeholder music on. So, which was quite surreal, kind of watching it, and and I kind of enjoyed it actually. And I think it's probably a good idea because if you put placeholder music in and then put that out in public, you're just going to get a load of people moaning about the placeholder music, right? Or you have the other problem, which is that people fall in love with the placeholder music, and then you release the main game and they go, "Hey, what happened to the placeholder music? Yeah, where's my music?" <laughs> so I think they probably did the right thing there in in leaving it just the game audio only. Um, and uh, yeah, as you say, Sonic soundtracks have got a pretty a pretty stellar record. All I want to know is when is Sonic Mania two coming? That's that's Ooh. what. I'm... That's like in production, yeah. I have no idea. You may well I, be right. I I I could be wrong, but I could have sworn I heard something about a Sonic Mania two being in the works. Uh, which, let's be real, like, that's the real Sonic right there. We can only hope. Now, last piece of news that we're going to cover is just like a little tidbit. This is from a tweet from a gentleman named Tom Henderson. Uh, seems to be familiar with both Sony and Discord, but he dropped a little bit saying that Sony plans on integrating Discord voice chat in the coming months, which, honestly, that's pretty huge for Discord. Yeah, about time. I think um, Xbox did that quite recently, didn't they? Um, I think Xbox introduced it a few months they back. They did, yes. Yeah, so I mean, I think probably inevitable and, and past time. But yeah, obviously fantastic for... Um, it's great for like e- even things like... I play Rocket League quite a bit with uh, uh, and, and sometimes play with a friend of mine. And I'm on PC and he's on uh, plays on PS5. And so getting us in, in, it's actually not so bad on Rocket League because they reintroduced voice chat in game. Okay. So you, so you can do that. But for but that was, that was that's only been recently reintroduced. So we would always, it would always be a bit of a kind of faff trying to figure out how we were going to be on voice chat together. So having Discord integration would obviously solve that problem really easily because we could both just log into a Discord voice chat and uh, or just call each other on there or whatever. So yeah, I, th- I think a welcome move, I'm sure. Um, that for for people who use uh, voice chat games and all that kind of thing a lot, it will be uh, a big help for them. Absolutely. All we need is Nintendo to join the team and we'll be good. That's never going to happen. It's literally <laughs> literally never going to happen. Nintendo's yeah. like, oh, this is going to be user-friendly? Nah, we don't want that. <laughs> oh, this is going to make the online experience better? Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. We, we need player-to-player player only, as much packet loss as you can find. Please, <laughs> if your ping's not triple digits, are you even playing, baby? And don't get us even started on Overcooked 2, okay? Because that is just... <laughs> that is just uh, that's just the whole thing that we, we oh, do not need to get into. We still don't too. know if that is an Overcooked problem or a Nintendo Switch problem, I but it, I'm... I think it must be, right? Like be, uh, Because we can play... Mario Kart perfectly well together right. I mean, on different sides of an ocean, and uh, you know we've we've pl- we've played games online together um, without any problems whatsoever. And yeah, Overcooked Two just uh, a shambles is what it was. Oh my god! So for those uh, who are listening who are unaware, uh, myself and now and then sixty four and a couple of our friends were playing Overcooked Two on stream, and it took us you know, 30 minutes to realize that this was not going to work. We were able to play one, maybe two levels without the game crashing at a given time. And after the, what, fourth crash, fifth crash, we decided enough was enough. 
we'll just play Mario Kart. That's fine. Yeah, and, <laughs> we and, all know where we are there. Yeah, no net loss there. I mean, Mario Kart's fantastic. Still think it's the best Mario Kart to date. Oh, Mario easily. Kart 64 fans, I'm sorry, but... Not even close. Not even close. Mario, Mario Kart 64 is, uh, you know, and I say this as a man with 64 in his handle, you know. A, uh, a professional. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Mario Kart 64. The, one, of, one of, if not the weakest in the series, I would say. And Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, miles away the, the, the leader. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God, yes. Not even close. Speaking of Mario, the, the wonderful red-hatted, mustachioed plumber. We're going to talk about his foray into 3D, the very first 3D Mario game, the Mario game that shares two numerals with our special guest's name. We're talking about Super Mario 64, baby. We're practically related. I mean, I'm assuming Mario 64 is your cousin. Very distant cousin. On my, We don't really like to talk about him that much, but I'm, I'm making an exception today. I'll try not to bring up uh, family wounds. Don't don't talk about Christmas or it's just, you know. So Super Mario 64 is a classic Nintendo 64 game. Came out in 1996 for those in Japan and America. 97 for those in the Europe regions. You play as Super Mario trying to save Princess Peach, who's been captured by Bowser. And the only way to do it? You gotta collect 120 power stars, baby, and and you jump around as as Mario. Well, much more besides as well. <laughs> now this game was pretty revolutionary. It was one of the first, you know, 3D platformers, and one of the best aged 3D platformers in its era. I have to make sure they say in its era because overall, eh. But you'll get the hate mail otherwise. Right, exactly, exactly. You, that it's, you know, the, the camera's no good. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about the camera in a second anyway. I'm not, I, I won't jump the gun. You carry on with your intro. Yeah, no, Mangry, no, no. I'm angry already. Can you hear it? I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, you know, the game came out to, to critical acclaim. I mean, it was the, the first Mario platformer game since Super Mario World, at least as playing as Mario is concerned. And kind of ditched a lot of the the classic like mushroom power up, fire flower power up, and kind of gave Mario some more like three D things where you could like fly around or be invincible or or be invisible for all that matters. And the setting it's Peach's castle, baby, iconic, iconic, like so much so that they use Peach's castle both the exterior and interior even from a visual perspective, to this day. I mean, Peach's Castle's in Paper Mario, the Origami King, and it's a pretty faithful recreation still. It's weird thinking about how one of the coolest things about that design and about that castle is something that's not in Mario 64 at all. It's in Mario Kart 64 on Royal Raceway, where you could just drive off the course and go and drive around the grounds from Mario 64. Now, that at the time, that to me was mind-blowing, you know? Insane. To, just to have that kind of... It's such a small thing, but just to have that consistency across the games and go, you know what? We're doing Royal Raceway. We're going to have the castle in it. Why don't we just take that whole area wholesale from outside, from the out, that, that exterior from the opening of Mario 64 and let players drive around it if they want? I mean, that's just amazing, I think. 
it's it's something that I feel like racing games in like the N64 and GameCube era were available to have fun with. Mm. You know, even in uh, like Wave Race, Blue Wave, Blue Crush, Blue Wave, the GameCube Wave Race, there's like a secret area you can scoot out to that has nothing to do with the race. But if you get out there, you get to hang out with dolphins and stuff, which is really sick. You know, in Mario Kart 64, like you said, you can drive way off the beaten path. No punishment other than, you know, losing time. And you get to just explore the outside of Peach's Castle, which is where the game drops you off in Mario 64. You start out by coming out of a pipe right at the base of the castle and you get to kind of run around and explore, which is, I think, like one of the more brilliant aspects of the game. You're dropped into a playground to start. Yeah. And I think the idea of that was if you think, you know, if you take yourself back into 1996, 97, nobody had really played a game like this before. So it was, it was the whole concept of this. Okay. You're going to, it is Mario. It is still running and jumping, but now it's got this whole new, literally a new dimension to it. And so what we're going to do to start with is give you this area where you can run and jump around and just get used to the controls. You know, you can, there's a swimming, you know, there's a lake there and, and the, at the start of the game, the, the moat is full of water. So you can get used to the swimming uh, and how that feels. You can get used to the running and jumping and climbing trees and, and all that kind of thing. And, and just get those basics down before you even begin the game. Right. And, and I think that was just such a, uh, a genius move to to give players that little sandbox to just play in before they kind of jump into a level. Right, right. And it, you know, the nice thing is it was like a punishment-free zone. I, I don't know if there's like even a way where you can get to a point where Mario loses all of his health outside of being underwater. And uh, that's a good, that's a good question. At the start of the game, no, once you've emptied the moat, you could, you could do a a couple of high falls off that bridge, but you'd, you'd have to be trying, I guess is the, is the right. kindest thing to say. You would have to be trying to, to hurt yourself to, to get to the point where you die out there. Exactly. And the first character we get introduced to in this game outside of Mario is the infamous cameraman of it all. Lakitu. Martin, you said you had a couple of thoughts on this Lakitu character. <laughs> well, it's to do with the the, the camera mechanics, of it, really, and and, sure. and 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 kind of the the revisionist, the hot take on it, you know, of of people being very critical and 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 whenever whenever people mention Mario sixty four and want to talk about what are, what what are some of the negatives, what are some of the things that have not aged so well, the camera is always the first thing they mention, and look, I I get it, like, but I would just say, well. It, it was from 1996. This was the first game to ever do it. And I think it does it really, really well. I think a lot of the complaints about it are pretty overstated, to be honest. Like the the amount of times that it was that it really got in the way of gameplay was basically never. And and what I always say to people is, I completed this game when I was 10 years old. Are you that you know, it's and it's always it's always grown-ups that have this complaint. It's always <laughs> Like, there's all these people in there who are, you know, adults that have this complaint about the camera. I'm like, well, I completed this when I was 10 years old. What's the pro- It can't be that hard, you know? Like, right, just get right. with it. And, and what I will say as well is that, and I don't know how you're going to feel about this because I know this is a game that you deeply love and, and I'm a big fan of it too. It was much better than Banjo-Kazooie's camera. Banjo, Banjo's camera really is hostile a lot of the time, I find. And 
even at the time I found it very frustrating. Um, whereas Mario's, I, d- I don't, I don't find it with at all. And maybe it's just that I'm very used to the game. Maybe it's just that I kind of know how to, you know, bend it to my will, I guess, after, right. after all these years, because I've played through it so many times. But uh, yeah, I, I, I find uh, Banjo-Kazooie gets, a, gets let off the hook a little bit in that conversation. You know what? I think it's because in Banjo-Kazooie's remake for the Xbox 360, they did fix the camera where it's just like smooth on a stick. And Right. Is that, it like an actual free cam, is it? It's like a free a, camera, a so it makes a world of difference. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I have been toying around with a Banjo-Kazooie randomizer a little bit, and getting used to the C-sticks for the camera is a little jarring. I So I will agree with you there. I think people don't think about this enough. In Mario 64, you play as two characters. You play as Mario and you play as Lakitu. Yeah, because yeah. you control Lakitu's movement, who is a character who's literally holding a camera behind Mario the entire game. And you, you see this whenever Mario's in a mirror situation. You can actually see Lakitu holding the camera, which, what a flavorful touch. Are you like, oh, chef's kiss, baby. Like, thinking <laughs> of that is kind of genius. Well, when they got to uh, future games, like Mario Galaxy right. doesn't have the same issue you don't control the camera at all in mario galaxy which is another great game but that they what they did for that was they went okay we're going to take that decision making out of a, out of players hands we're, we're just going to make it so that the camera is always where it should be no matter where in the level you are but i think what the the cost of that was i don't know if i'd call it a cost they're just different games and both really good mario 64 is a lot more open than Mario Galaxy. Mario Galaxy is actually pretty linear a lot of the time, you know. Right. It, it is, okay, you go onto this small asteroid and run around and do a thing here and then jump into a teleporter and it fires you over onto the next bit and so on. Whereas Mario 64 and Sunshine as well, really, were much more kind of, here are these big open playgrounds, you figure it out. We're going to give you a hint at the start. Here's the here's what the star is called. So so it's it says on top of the mountain. So go to the top of the top of the mountain. You figure out how to get there. You know, right. And aside from a handful of exceptions, uh, because there are a few. You know, in Mario sixty four, each level. You know, there's I want to say there's like thirteen or fourteen little levels that you can go through. There's six power stars that you can get with a a seventh. 100 coin star for collecting all the coins, 100 coins in the level. But regardless of the star you pick, for the most part, you have options to go collect other stars as well. Yeah. They act almost more as like hint markers than than keys to play a specific level, which is what Galaxy did, where they're like, this star is go talk to the penguin and race him. And the only star you can get in that level is go talk to the penguin and race him. Whereas in yeah. Mario 64, you have a little bit more freedom. There's a little more wiggle room, and I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, because you could, I think there must be, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there are probably stars where you can soft lock yourself out of them. Like you could you could do something where you mess it up and you go, ah, okay, that, that star is actually now out of reach for me. I can't actually do that now, but I'll just go and do this one instead, right? Like, so I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there must be stars like that. So I think having that freedom really kind of yeah just gave you that option to to as as burger king would say have it your way <laughs> i feel like i feel like rainbow ride might be one of those levels where you can kind of get yourself in a snafu 
Yeah. And you're like, uh-oh, now, uh-oh, now what? Time to Wahoo Mario into the abyss below and start again. Oh, uh, not on Rainbow Ride, because the first... <sighs> Rainbow Ride is... Like this is a this is a proper criticism, I guess, and and a, and a bit of a gripe is that unless you're a speedrunner and know how to do the thing at the start, which I don't, the first every time you go into Rainbow Ride, you've got like a good minute or maybe ninety seconds <laughs> of this very slow ride to get you to the point where you even kind of begin the level, you know, and, just and it's sitting just on an Arabian weird. carpet for a minute and a half, taking yeah. in the most obnoxious music in the game. And this is that's somewhere where like banjo I think had a really um, I, know, I know I don't want to get into a Mario versus banjo comparison thing, but that, I sure. think that was a really quantifiable improvement that, that banjo made was you pick up a jiggy, you carry on, you're going to go and get the next jiggy now. Whereas on Mario sixty four, it was like okay, you pick up that start, boots you out the level, back in you go. Now you've got to do this six times, um, right? Six times plus however many times you die, right? Right, and yeah, I think. The fact that Mario, it's it's interesting. So so much so because, like you said, Banjo Kazooie, which is basically a slightly refined version of Mario sixty four, both three D platformers. The biggest difference is when you you know collect one of the main collectibles in the level, you get to stay in the level and continue to explore. You know, Nintendo didn't really do that with its Mario games until Odyssey, really. Because yeah. with Mario Sunshine, it boots you out the level. With Mario Galaxy and Galaxy 2, it boots you out the level. You know, it, it took until Odyssey to be like, oh, wait, I think that Banjo-Kazooie guy might have had something going there. Yeah, and I think by that time, a lot of games kind of worked in that in that sort of way. And, and I do appreciate what one thing I really like about Mario Odyssey, which uh, you're, you're playing through at the moment, right? Is, um, yes is the speed with which you can rack up moons. You know, you can really oh my gosh. You run it from one to the other. And I think, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate the pace that you can that you can set there and, and just be like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? All the time. And get, get those get those dopamine hits, baby. You know, just like, <laughs> right. give me that serotonin of, of, yes, I got another one. Yes, I got another one. It's it's really, really good. I mean, in a, in a three-hour stream, you know, the last time I played it, I ended up racking up like 52 moons yeah so you're never going more than like five minutes without getting your little tiny number into a bigger one so it's like all right let's go let's go oh we're schmoving baby whereas mario 64 uh definitely slower paced compared to its you know nowadays you know likeness type games but still like it was still so it, it was so interesting and the game did still reward you. Now, we did talk about a lot of, like, you know, somewhat specific things you had to do. But, you know, for the most part, like, you know, you have eight red coins that you have to collect in every level. And you kind of just see them and you're like, oh, like, let me. They're placed in places where, like, the game encourages you to explore. And right. you're kind of like, wow, like, let me check every nook and cranny. And that ruined me as a person. Because now I have to do that in every video game that I play ever. I expect to find secrets and rewards oh. everywhere. Yeah. Like, for sure. have you ever have you ever played a game and you're like, oh, like this has big secret area potential, only for it to be like a dead end wall, and you're like, why why is this even here? Like, yeah. cut this whole area out. <laughs> My day is ruined. What's the there's like there's like an account on Twitter that's like, is there a cave behind the waterfall? And it just <laughs> 
and it just posts things from different <laughs> games. It's like you can go behind the waterfall in Red Dead Redemption Two. You can go behind the waterfall in blah 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 in Banjo Kazooie. You know, and then and then it will have a game where it's like you cannot go behind the waterfall in whatever this game is. Like, why even have it then? Oh, that's like, so good. You see a waterfall in a game that is basically the most obvious shorthand for go in here, go I behind. Mean- this waterfall right mandatory for some games look at diddy kong racing one of the worlds is just yeah just hidden behind a waterfall yeah if you go up to a waterfall in the game and there's a solid wall behind it you you should take it back and get a refund because that is it's it's practically uh it's fraud i think in my book uh yeah that's definitely illegal in at least 32 states here frankly boycott the company (laughs) yeah big time it's a, a flagrant uh trading standards malpractice or something i don't know <laughs> you should be able to go into every single waterfall in video games that should be the law listen for game devs who are listening to this obviously all the the heads from microsoft sony and nintendo have ears on this podcast just listen to us put stuff behind waterfalls it makes more us happy more rewards behind waterfalls okay exactly exactly you guys can do it i believe in you that being said, there aren't a ton of waterfalls in uh, <laughs> Mario 64. No, I think I can, there are I think... waterfalls. There's a secret behind Actually, is that even true? Am I don't I know that to... it is. <laughs> I don't know that there are secrets behind waterfalls. I'm thinking about Tall Tall Mountain, which is one of the levels. Then I'm like, is is no, there a star? No, there is a star behind the waterfall. There is a star behind the waterfall in Tortal Mountain. I was thinking of the one out, outside the castle, actually, in the, in the castle grounds that feeds into the moat. There's one out there that doesn't have anything behind it at all. So, you know, true. no game is perfect. but <laughs> Now, we, we talked about the story a little bit. And the story begins with Peach inviting Mario for a freshly baked cake. And when he gets there, Bowser has already wreaked havoc on the world. Can we talk about the scariest iteration of Bowser that Nintendo has put out to date. Oh, I, I think it's Mario 64. He's um, he looks awesome in the final battle where he's got like the psychedelic kind of yeah, color. He's like a neon color palette. Wow. He, like tie dyed Bowser. It looks amazing. Uh, is he scary? He's, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that the 3D modeling of the time, the polygons of the time, allowed for him to be really scary. But I mean, he's got that cool ass uh, that. Oh man, that that theme coming in—that's that's pretty sick. Um, yeah, oh, it's it's fire. I'm just trying to think what other. Well, uh, I tell you what, there's only there's only one contender actually. Have you played Bowser's Fury? Oh, Bowser's Fury, uh, Chef's Kiss. He's pretty scary in that. That's pretty scary. Yeah, no, that that might be the scariest oh, Bowser. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, that, I forgot I about that. One, that one takes the cake, I think. But yeah, I mean, I, I just remember definitely thinking he looked really, really cool, and and thinking that it was just amazing this idea that you could like swing him around by the tail and so on. And yeah, that final battle where he's um, got that psychedelic color scheme just looks amazing. And I love the scale, right? So you know, every previous game that we've seen Bowser in with Mario as the protagonist. Bowser's like four pixels taller than Mario, (laughs) which isn't exactly the most threatening look. All things, all things said. So seeing Bowser Bowser like 50 times the size of Mario and the fact like just the weight. So the way to, 
to defeat Bowser is to grab him by the tail, swing him around, and yeet him at an explosive. And, like, just, like, the feeling of running behind him, grabbing him, and having to spin the control stick, and it starts out really slow. Mm -hmm. And, like, you feel, like, the weight of Bowser in the gameplay. It's such a really clever touch that I don't think I even gave it credit for as a kid, but looking back, it's like, that was really, really smart the way they played that. Yeah. And what I would say is, still to this day, I I defy anyone to not find it one of the most satisfying, cathartic things in any game The when he hits the, uh, the, the mines on the side of those stages, the way he kind of pops back off them and uh, as it explodes oh, so clean on the ground it looks awesome and i still find it so satisfying like particularly the last time when you're finishing the game and you and it just hits that third one and goes and sends him flying i really think that's one of the most satisfying feelings in a game ever i mean it, it might be one of the more fun final bosses albeit a little simple all things considered by you know video game standards today but it's the the atmosphere is so cool the last level in the game has you in the sky and it's got these dark purple storm clouds you know you're running through this little platforming adventure you get up to bowser and you're on this like black and green dark platform with the mines around you bowser's all that neon colors and as you're fighting him, the level's falling apart around you. So awesome. It felt, to, to steal a word from 2012, it felt so epic going <laughs> through and, and it, like, defeating Bowser for the first time as a kid was one of the more proud achievements I've had as a gamer. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and actually, yeah, it is a bit, uh, you said it was kind of simple, and, and I would... I, I agree with that, but what I would say is it also felt like quite a, um, like I guess like a personal fight because it's it's not filled with bells and whistles and gimmicks and and other enemies even you know all the, the only things are an arena with you and Bowser and he's going to breathe fire at you and he's going to run at you and he's going to jump up and do the the shockwave thing these those are the weapons that he's got and you're going to throw him onto a mine like that and that's all it is you know if you compare it to Mario Sunshine a few years later, where the final Bowser, I mean, you talk about size and scale, this Bowser's about like 200 feet tall. And right. really, really, you're not really fighting Bowser at all. It's like set on this big, do you remember the ending of Sunshine? It's set on this big kind of bowl thing. He's it, like in a bath of goo. It, and So it, yeah. I would compare it to like the final level in Donkey Kong, the like arcade platformer, where right. instead of facing off against donkey kong you're just like loosening the bolts on the building and then once the bolts are loosened he falls right yeah, like, yeah. where it, it's kind of bowser plays a passive role as i guess just like a damage doer but he's not really like you said you're not really fighting him no, which is which is what i'm like, happy about in like the later games they're like all right never mind you're gonna actually fight bowser yeah yeah definitely and, and in sunshine he's like sending bullet bills after you and you've got to you've got to do the uh like the rocket propelled jumps with flood and, and like hip drop uh some buttons and stuff like that and it it's fine it's like i don't think that's a bad like boss battle or anything but i think there's just something in mario 64 so uh i'm trying to think of a better word than intimate intimate sounds wrong well but it's it, no, a lot of it's mean. really pure it's you have to run as mario use mario's one action move 
which is his punch ability. And you have to get behind Bowser and do the thing. And it's you don't have weapons at your arsenal. You don't have flood. You don't have any powers. You're literally you're Mario and you just have to go toe to toe with big, scary Reswab Bowser baby. I guess the closest they've come since then is probably Odyssey, but I won't spoil that for you because you haven't reached it yet. I, I agree. The Odyssey final thing is very, very cool. I like the twist that they do there. Even in, uh, I will say, even in Bowser's Fury, you you kind of you get gifted the power of Super Saiyan, and it yeah. doesn't it doesn't feel as the the scales not as out of your favor. So yeah. it feels like it's an even fight. No, those no, fights I, were really. Weird. I found those a bit strange. Like I, I found them quite enjoyable, but they were so easy because you could just pick up a pillar, and as basically as long as you're holding a pillar <laughs> vaguely in his direction, he would just bash into it, and that would and that would knock him out. And right, um, I found the ending of that game really strange because the the actual final boss is you riding the the dinosaur in the water, and, and I thought it was a really cool right. uh, section, but I was surprised that that was. The ending of the game. I, w- I wouldn't say disappointed. I-, I enjoyed it a lot, and I thought Bowser's Fury was excellent. But, but yeah, I was surprised, and I- and so yeah, I guess this is kind of a-, a thought that's only really occurred to me by having us having this conversation. But I think there is something really nice about a small arena with very few gimmicks, and Bowser's just breathing fire and trying to run you- mow you down and and shockwave you and stuff like that. You using his physicality i guess and you're doing the same and it's yeah i think there's something very um as much as it kind of does feel a little bit quaint i guess these days it's uh it kind of it feels pretty cool i think it, it's a little refreshing going back and looking at it because it is by design very simple but it still feels really good yeah and of course once you defeat him oh. you get might be the greatest piece of video game music ever the, the the credits roll on Mario 64. It's so I'm, good. I'm speaking from a position of extreme freshness because I just played through Mario 64 again last week. Not even in anticipation of recording this with you. I just happened to be doing it because it's a, a thing I do annually around this time of year. And uh, it never, ever gets old uh, hearing that music drop in. And uh, so good. It's got the key change at the end. Oh, my goodness. I, I could, uh, you just go, just go and listen to it. Mario 64 end credits and just do yourself a favor. You know, it's funny you say the end credits is your favorite song in the game. My favorite song in the game is the file select theme. I I don't know what it is, but it is the most zen music. And, And I have a couple of remixes that I have saved. And if I'm ever in a need of, all right, let's just whoosah. I throw that music on and it automatically just takes me to like yeah. just like a chill place. Now, I have a question for you. Fire away. What's your favorite level in this game? Ooh, it's funny because we were just uh, having the, the, the conversation about this. Um, when, when While I was playing through it, we were talking about kind of favorite levels. I know what I know what my least favorite is by Miles, which is uh, Wet Dry World. Do you have this thing about there's there is a common feeling certainly enough that someone made a really good youtube video about the topic people get like this sense of like dread in wet dry world and Um, and it's it's really it's this very very hard to put your finger on kind of feeling yeah it's uh it's very strange so that's that's easily my worst for sure okay i i can see that man 
My least favorite, Wet Dry World might be there. I actually was never a huge fan of Rainbow Ride, believe it or not. Yeah, like, it's... Uh, I know it's, it's iconic. It's, it's very Cloud Cuckoo Land to me, where oh, it's yeah. just like... You're in the setting is you're in the sky and there's just a bunch of stuff happening around you. <laughs> it's and very it is pretty disjointed, isn't it? I think that's the, I, the the kindest thing we can say about it. And I think that's what I also feel about Wet Dry World. It's just like a bunch of platforms that exist in a vague setting and it's just kind of it, it's one of those levels that just like doesn't have a lot of cohesion to me. So that's I think where you know those two levels kind of fail to reach the cream of the crop for me yeah i think i think there's a couple of levels that kind of feel a little bit thrown together if i'm being totally honest but one that i think is really good um so my favorite to answer your original question because apologies i kind of took you off uh off, off, off onto my own question there but um tiny huge is is uh is my favorite uh, and facts part facts. of that is because of something that happens before you even enter the level because you've you've been through like maybe 10 levels by the time you get up to the the top floor which is where um tiny huge is is based mm-hmm. and up to that point you see a painting you jump into the painting right bob on battlefield all the rest of it you, you see the painting you run you jump into it so you come through this door and there's a painting for tiny huge right ahead of you and you run and you jump and you hit a, a solid wall and you're like what? what's going on here this is unexpected and then you come back and to your left and right, there's like a little crossroads in the corridor. And if you go to the right, and it's a really, really neat perspective trick where it takes you up to this huge painting that is like a hundred feet tall. And you can jump and if you jump in on that side, you go on to the big The huge the, island, the yeah. Inside, huge island. And then obviously if you go to the, the left, it turns out the painting is only about like ten feet away from where you were standing, even though it looks further. Um, and you jump in, you're on the tiny side. So I thought that was firstly a really, really neat gimmick to introduce kind of later in the game to kind of mess with you a little bit and and say, hey, look, there's a, this world does something a little bit different, actually. It's not just... Um, and it's the only, only island, it's the only world in the game that has this kind of anything like that where you kind of manipulate the level in that way, I think. Um, I can't think of any others anyway. Not uh, that I well, can I think of. TikTok clock is the only one where you can kind of influence the, right. the level in, in any sense. And I, and that's another one of my favorites as well, even though it can be uh, <laughs> terrifying as well. But um, yeah, and I just think it's awesome. It's got a lot of really cool little secrets in it. Um, I think the it's got a couple of nice little nods back to previous games, like having Wiggler in it. Uh, it's got that mm-hmm. scary ass fish that's like one of the few enemies in the game that can just insta kill you eats you gulps you and makes him a seriously scary uh entity to be uh dealing with so yeah a big big fan of 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 tiny huge i think it 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 packs a lot into quite a small area and and obviously having the the duality of the two worlds kind of gives it uh right an extra lease on life plus it has the tiny little goombas that like scutter around your feet the the little goombas are so fantastic because when you're regular sized mario in this giant world or you're giant mario in the tiny world you can punch a goomba and it goes flying like 700 feet files it's great that never gets old feel like a god now (laughs) i will say tiny huge island as much as i love the flavor of the level there's like two qualms that i have with it 
one of which is the platforming is very touchy in this game uh this level especially when you are uh on tiny island as large mario because every other step you take you're like am i about to slip on like just a slightly diagonal piece of ground that is one thing and i just looking through the levels right now i didn't realize that super mario 64 was 50 percent made up of mario climbs a tower the level (laughs) Literally, so we got Bob on Battlefield. Of that, yeah. <laughs> Bob on Battlefield, Womp's Fortress, Cool Cool Mountain. Though you're descending, not climbing. Snowman's Land, Tall Tall Mountain, Tiny Huge Island. Yeah, it's just a bunch of mountains. A lot of mountains. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I think what you can really see in Mario 64 when you when you look at them all side by side like that is the, I guess, the limitations of the time and, and sure. And, they were just trying to pack as much into an area as they could. So that's why you get a lot of vertical um, stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, I don't know why that would be take up less space than a, a, a larger horizontal area, but I'm sure there is a good reason for it. It, it seems evident that that's the case because otherwise they wouldn't have done it. You know, I mean, even like um, it, it's not a mountain, but uh, Dire Dire Docks kind of has that same thing where you come into the level and, the, and you start off in a big kind of vertical funnel almost. Right. So yeah, I th- you do, there is a, there is a fair bit of that, and and I, and actually one of the other levels that I quite like is um, Big Boo's Haunt because it's very different to that, and it is right. Feels it's it's got one of the probably the best put together it, themes and the most coherent it, kind of yeah. theme in the levels. It is easily the most cohesive level in the game. Uh, you are just in a haunted house setting. And everything is spooky and makes sense. And the scariest dang piano in gaming oh history. God. Don't. Don't talk to me about that piano. Although, <laughs> the, the thing is, I always found the eel much scarier than the piano. And I think that's because the eel was quite a focal part of that level. Like, you had to you had to get up close and, and personal with it on a couple of occasions. I mean, um, it's, the, it's the second star in the level for Jolly Roger yeah. Bay. You gotta, you gotta grab the... the star off the eel's tail yeah and yeah. it has the most terrifying sharp tooth face i remember yeah. being so i always used to leave as a kid i always used to leave jolly roger bay until last because i just did not want to contend with that eel i'm kind of over it now but like it was definitely a, a scary time for me and the, and the piano i was just like okay don't get me wrong it is pretty neat that they put something like this in a mario game to it's, be honest it's good for a jump scare you really you don't really expect is. it but you're kind of in and out because all it's, it's hiding a red coin behind it, and it's just like, okay, don't worry, we can we can get that red coin pretty right. Uh, pretty. And by that time, you might have the invincible the uh, invisible Mario ability, yeah, so you can literally that. run right through it. But like worst case scenario, it t- it does a couple of bits of damage. You pick up the red coin, which replenish that that health you just lost anyway, and you and then right. you just lay it out of the room. So it's. It, you're never going to die to that piano, are you? There's not really. Whereas, if you think on that eel, if you've been, if you've swum down to it where it's hiding in that cave when it comes out and has the one stuck to its tail, you could be at like half health already, right? From, from lacking air, and then it swims out, and if you catch it wrong, all of a sudden you're on red health and you're pinging mm-hmm. at you. Now you've got panic stations. But uh, but yeah, Big Boo's Horn, I think, really well put together level and also has one of the, it's got to be, if not the, then definitely one of the, the weirdest uh, additions to any Mario soundtrack ever. Like, it, it, the fact that that made it onto a Mario game is sensational to me. Just this yeah. 
weird dirge groaning thing going on. It's it's awesome. And it's the only level that you aren't jumping through a painting kind yeah. of to, to get into. There's a, yeah. a boo in a courtyard that basically has like a I, I like a dollhouse. Yeah. Yeah. That you, oh, you like shrink a into. Bird cage. Yeah, it is almost like a bird cage. You're right. But with this tiny little house in it, it's um yeah, I always thought that was really cool as well. There's there's one thing that has functionally broken my brain from Mario 64, and that is water heals you. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you've ever like just subconsciously like in low health situations in 3D platformers where water is safe. You ever just jump in the water and be like, I wonder if this will heal me. I'm sh- I'm sure the first time I played banjo, I must have expected that, and then very quickly had my uh, <laughs> expectations managed because they because they were obviously kind of the next big. 3D platformers come out on the N64, and and they were they straight away were like, no, health is health, oxygen is oxygen. You're not, never the twain shall meet. Oh. You want to fix your health? You go and find some honeycombs. Mario, you you broke my brain on that one, and I'll never forgive you. Did they in Mario Sunshine? Did they yeah. did they fix that? Was it was it was that two different meters on Mario, Mario yes. Sunshine? I think yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, they they don't let you uh, just jump in water to to heal yourself anymore. Which... It, it is quite a nice quick fix to have. I think it must be said. But um, you know, there are. I mean, there's also levels that don't have any water on them. Not that many, but um, right. It's not always that easy. Do you have any like childhood memories of this game that really stand out to you from like the first you know couple of times you played this game growing up? Yeah. Um, well, actually, the the, the clearest memory. I have is not of me playing it at all. It's when I first encountered it because the the Nintendo 64, which you kind of alluded to when you were doing your intro to the game, came out in Europe later than it did in the US and in Japan. Right. And so it came out in like the spring of 97. And my uh, neighbor, there was a girl who lived across the, the road from me who was like a year younger than me. So I was like... 10 years old and she was a year younger than that her family got her an n64 so i was still rocking my uh sega mega drive my genesis at the time and i hadn't really thought about like for some reason a playstation one had never appealed to me sega saturn i even at that age i think i'd figured out looked pretty limited so I didn't. I didn't. I don't remember having any kind of like obsession with any particular console or anything like that. And then I went over. To, we you know, would go around each other's houses quite a lot. And she was like, "Oh, I've got the Nintendo sixty four. And obviously, I'd heard about it. So it was actually watching her. And I and I quite. I do have a fairly vivid kind of image in my mind of watching her do King Bobom on Bobom Battlefield and and like doing that for the first time and just thinking it looked like the most amazing thing i'd ever seen and just knowing i had to have it at that moment um and i had to wait until christmas of that year so i was probably watching her do that over the summer and i got that and i got the n64 for christmas of that year so it it was a a good half year of um anticipation for for that moment so i don't know if i have many i mean i've already mentioned the eel right i mean that obviously left a, a last impression on me but um i don't know that i have any huge memories of like the first couple of times i played through but that memory of seeing someone else playing it and knowing I've got to have this game. That oh was, uh, that was a, you know, a console mover for me and, and represented, I guess, a shift because instead of getting a Saturn or then a Dreamcast, 
I moved over onto Nintendo. And since then, I've had every Nintendo console since then. So it uh, it, it, it moved me, it shifted my team um, I, as, well as, as well as getting me the game itself. It's crazy how, how influential uh, video games are to you in such a specific way when you made a decision at seven years old to either get a Nintendo console, a Sony console, Sega, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. the the ramifications of our actions as children is absolutely astounding to me. There are probably, well, there must be kids who, you know, they picked up a PS3 and now they'll be Sony forever. Do you know what I mean? Like until, until there's some kind of paradigm shift in the industry, um, which may well be sooner than we think, because obviously there's a lot of acquisitions and stuff been happening over the last couple of years that I think will, are, are going to really change how um, the industry operates. But on the assumption that it continues on and we get a PlayStation 6 and a PlayStation 7 and so on, they'll just pick those up forever. And, and you know, this is not a console wars thing, which I think is ridiculous, but you just become very familiar with it. Like, it's the same kind of thing as your as your phone, right? Like Apple or Android. I've only ever right. had Android phones. Um, and 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 is I'm unlikely to change that. I have a, an Apple one for work actually, and I don't and I don't like using it. So. It's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous that you'd go around texting people in green. How dare you? Perish <laughs> <laughs> the thought. Enjoyed <laughs> uh, for life. But yeah, I mean, I've actually. But what what's interesting? Well, I don't know if it's that interesting. But in in my life, I've switch teams a couple of times and it's always been because i saw a game that i was like that's a needle mover i've got to have this game so mario 64 was the first well sonic 2 was the, sure. was the first one actually because i because a similar thing happened where a neighbor had had sonic 2 and i was like i gotta have it so i had i got sonic 2 when i was like five years old with a with a, with a mega drive for christmas that year five years later it's mario 64 i had a an xbox 360 and then Little Big Planet had come out on PS3, and I was Ooh. like, "I gotta have it. that." Looks like amazing fun. I want to play Little Big Planet. I traded in my 360 to get a PS3. Wow! Like that. So I I've flip flopped a couple of times, um, but now it's I, I I never had a gaming PC until last year, and so now I think I'm probably going to be for the foreseeable future Nintendo console because you've got to have Nintendo consoles because they because you've got to have a Mario game. And, and my PC, and, and that'll probably be where I uh, am for the foreseeable future now. I think genuinely that's probably the best setup for gaming in this current state of time, just given yeah. that everything that comes to Xbox does go to PC for the most part. Exactly. You're, you're so. never going to get an Xbox exclusive that you can't get on PC. And unless you are like, I'm so, and someone's going to correct me on this, someone's going to call me out for this comment, but unless you are a fanatic of like Naughty Dog, and you've got to have The Last of Us, and you've got to have um, Uncharted games. I'm not sure for me. I'm not sure there's enough on a on a, a PlayStation console these days to to make me go. I've got to have that. God of War is is another one, and like, yeah, it looks great. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure I'd enjoy it. But don't. I mean, some of these games have come to PC since anyway, haven't they? It's God of right. War on PC now, I think, isn't it? I don't. I don't know that God of War is. I know Sony's very protective of a lot of their in-house properties because it's the only thing they have now. Well, they, yeah, they, they should be because because yeah, if they want to if they want to move consoles, right, uh, and and they have to keep some of them. You know, I I do have a PlayStation Five, and you know, I I got it in the launch window. I within a month of it releasing, I I was able to nab one, 
you know, shout out to uh, Shady Chet behind the movie theater who, you know, yeah. was able to hook me up. But I was going to say, who do you, you have to kill for that? <laughs> I don't know who Shady Chet had to do, but I had to pay a $100 premium to get the console. So, listen, from a legal standpoint, all I know is I, I have a video game system. Here's the thing. You know what games I've played for the PlayStation 5? Go on. Ratchet and Clank and Rocket League. That's it. <laughs> That's literally it. Rocket League is not a console exclusive. Ratchet and Clank is a fine video game. I have not played another. Oh, you know what? Cyberpunk I played on this, the PS5. Sure, sure. Uh, and I thought that was a good experience because it was the first game that really just showed me how powerful the console is i I truly think the ps5 is a technological marvel when it comes to video game consoles because Mm -hmm. the loading times are like practically non-existent you know when sonic frontiers comes out i plan on getting it for the ps5 just because the fact that you can just issue loading screens is incredible to me it makes me very happy i don't want to make your ps5 more obsolete but what i will say is i was playing rocket league on ps4 for the longest time yeah. And I switched onto PC at the end of last year and my rank flew up immediately. And I've al- I guess I've always been one of those people who's kind of laughed off the idea that it would make a, a, a quantifiable difference, right? Like playing on PC compared to PS4. Wow. I was I was astonished because all of a sudden I seemed really? to be able to play this entirely different game. So if you move your Rocket League account onto PC or do it the more fun way, which is set up a brand new account on PC, and then you get to play in bronze for a couple of games before it figures out that you're uh, smurfing and bumps you up to where you <laughs> pretty quickly. <laughs> but you get to play a couple of games where you'll just wallop somebody 15-0, you know. Oh, um, no. So, yeah, I'm just saying, if you if you, if you you move that onto PC, I, I, I'm certain you will see your rank uh, increase. Wow. I mean, to be fair, I only play PlayStation 5 uh, Rocket League uh, with one of my dear friends, and we only play it in person together after a a couple of adult beverages. But mm-hmm. but I did recently download it onto PC. So Martin, maybe we're that. gonna have to run some uh, run some doubles and ruin some kids' lives. Uh, we should we should play some games definitely. I'm down. I'm down. After after we're done with Fogs, <laughs> of course, of course. Oh my God, Fogs is such an insane video game. P H O G S exclamation point. Check it out if you are uh, interested in playing as Cat Dog, but Dog Dog instead. One of the weirdest games I've ever had the pleasure of playing. Um, just very surreal, but very but fun and, and kind of challenging and all it's the right a, It's a goofy 3D physics engine platformer that you just have a lot of good old goof arounds with. Now, do you have any final parting words for Super Mario 64? Anything else you want to get off your chest about the game? Well, I guess... Nothing that I think most people don't already know, which is that to say that it's, um, I think that the echo of Mario 64 is still very widely felt across gaming, you know, particularly within Mario games. You know, I think what's amazing is you've still got, when you play Odyssey, you've still got essentially the same control system. He still does all the same jumps, all the same moves. All right, you've got a couple of additional bits because of uh, the cap and, and so on. But every Mario game that has followed uh, Mario 64 has retained virtually all of that control system right. and, the kind of, and and also the, the kind of ethos uh, as well of, of that here's a playground, go and play 
kind of thing and and, and find find things to do in it and they they've all tweaked with how best to approach that and odyssey has its own way of kind of guiding you towards tasks in, in, in the way we discussed earlier. But yeah, I think the its level of influence is difficult to overstate. It's my favorite game ever. Um, coming coming onto a, a podcast and being and being asked to talk about Mario 64 is like a dream come true because I, I you know someone actually inviting you to talk about a game for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever uh, is just stupendous to me. Um, I, <laughs> I could talk about it for, for days, but yeah, just just a, a terrific game all the way through. For anyone who has never played it, give it a good go. Ignore ignore the camera haters and just you'll figure it out. Don't worry. Don't be scared. It's you know you can play it on Switch now in a couple in a couple of different ways actually. Um, so it's ne- it's never been more uh, accessible. accessible. Yeah. Um, so a great time to pick it up and play it. I know somebody who just played it um, or no i don't think they played it for the first time but they just did a 120 star run for the first time so they just properly completed it for the first time because you only need 70 to beat the final bowser right but i tell you now friends that is not completing it go and get all 120 you will not regret it and you will feel like a million dollars uh for doing it so uh, yeah go and go and get on it thank you for sharing your love of super mario 64 and yes if you have a nintendo switch it's on their nintendo switch online uh platform it's been on every Nintendo console since the 64 minus the GameCube. So it it's around. Now, I've got you here on the podcast. You are a special guest indeed. And the thing we're going to be trying out with new guests this season on the Games of Our Lives is a little segment I like to call Triple Threat with Now and Then 64. I'm going to ask you three questions. They're hard-hitting questions now and then 64 has not had a chance to previously view these questions so he doesn't have a prepared answer so get ready because these these punches are coming we'll do it live so we're gonna keep this first in the mario 64 realm here you know mario 64 was the first game that you played on twitch it was yeah now what kind of emotional damage do you think the koopa troopa whose shell you stole is (laughs) suffering still to this day uh yeah um like i have every sympathy with a uh essentially i made him homeless um i think that's sort of something that you have yeah, to yeah real real jerk move mario when, when you frame it in those terms i suppose like i i guess i'm owe that that cooper trooper a, a long overdue apology um and all i can say is i i i'm sorry because that shell's not coming back i i rode it like a skateboard and then crashed it into a fence, so and it and it evaporated. So I am sorry, um, but I've got to be honest. Faced with the same opportunity, I wouldn't change a damn thing. <laughs> Koopa's on freaking watch. You got to be careful now and then. Sixty four coming through to take your home from you. you. I'm ready to stomp you. Those turts better be careful. They better. You do sometimes play guitar on stream. Yes. Uh, this is a two-parter. Is there a song that people request that you begrudgingly play? You're like, fine, I'll play it. I'm. I'm. Uh, oh, this is gonna. I don't know how to, if this is gonna paint me in a really good light. But to be honest, I'm more likely to just say no. <laughs> I think if I'm. Not- <laughs> 
where, where I'm sort of feeling a degree of like obligation. And what I would say as well is I've got a really, really lovely Twitch community and none of them have ever kind of like put the boot in a little bit and said, go on, play something. If it's clear that I'm not very enthusiastic about it, I will play pretty much anything. Like if I know how a song goes, I will basically give it a blast. And, and I haven't done a a singing stream in a long time now but um you know generally i'll just like throw them in the chat and if i know how it goes then i'll 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 give it a go but to be honest normally if i get to that point i'm just like honestly i, I just don't want to sing that <laughs> or I, or i don't feel like i can do it justice which is the other thing but the the one that's probably requested has definitely been requested on on more than one occasion Possibly with a bit of tongue in cheek is Wonderwall by Oasis, of course. which I absolutely hate. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's one that I've definitely shot down in flames a couple of times. Oh, and anything by uh, Eric Clapton, but that's because he's an awful person. That's fair. Now, is there a song that maybe hasn't been requested that you're like, you know what? I think I think I'm ready to bust this out into the into the public space. Like, is there a jam that you're looking forward to playing online? I think it would be really, really difficult to to narrow that down, to be honest, because I, okay. I love music. And I know I know everyone says this, and it's kind of a bit of a, a cliche at this point, but I, I, I really do kind of listen to pretty well a bit of anything. And, and there are definitely types of genres of music that I'm less drawn to, but... I uh, th- there's a there's a lot that I really really enjoy. I'm always game for a Disney song. Um, so you know, if people want to want to count me with those kinds of requests, that that's tip top. I uh, I'm just trying to think if there's anything that like I haven't played that I would really like to belt out. Because the thing is, I'd, I'd have probably just given it a go. So what I would say to that is, and, and this is probably a bit of a politician's answer, is there's there's thousands of songs that I'm sure if people were to jog me on and were to, were to request that I'd be really excited to play and really excited to sing that I'd be like, ah, oh, you know what? I never have sung that. I never have played that. Um, yeah, let's give that a go. But it's quite difficult for me to kind of think of one off the top of my head because sure. the, the songs that I, that I love, I've definitely played already. The, the, the songs that are in my mind that I would think to play, I've already done. So next time I'm on one of your music streams, I will request Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. All right, I'll, uh, I'll I'll start practicing in anticipation of that. Perfect. Last question. You're doing great so far. Okay, I'm ready. This, this one is, this one's worth all the ducats. A million dollars, right? Now you host a Mario Kart Invitational tournament, uh, and it's you had one this past spring. You're having its mm. second iteration this coming October. Mm. Um, who is your favorite character to play as in Mario Kart, and why haven't you mailed me my damn trophy yet? <laughs> you got you had me in the first half not gonna lie i i genuinely thought your question was going to be um who's the reigning champion from the one <laughs> back in march um so hey kudos to you because i thought ah oh, who's my favorite character players that's a good question and then oh the sting in the tail he got me in the end um yeah i've, I've got to get you that trophy i, I don't know that was very much part of the the, the arrangement was I was going to send the winner a an honest to god physical. <laughs> and, and, and do you know what I remember thinking at the time? This is barely going to be worth it for you because at the time you were using a green screen for your stream, so you it wouldn't have even been visible. Whereas now you have a nice gaming room background that it could take pride of place in. So I will uh, I'll get right on that and wait uh, and wait until October. So you can only print, you know, two-time champion once. That's a very, very good point. I should, I should do that. 
Um, it would that would actually be really cool as well. Would be to have rather than send the theoretically a new winner, uh, as unlikely as that may seem to you, uh, a separate trophy. Have you send it on if someone defeats you for the trophy? I actually, right? I think a, a trophy to be passed around could be fun. That would be amazing, and have and like get it engraved with like the new winner and the date and so on. That would be awesome. Um, right. I I have that for one of my uh, fantasy football leagues. We have a, a right. trophy that we pass around year to year. So now I'm starting to think that you don't really care about the answer to this question, but I'll tell you anyway that I usually play as Donkey Kong in the whatever the long kind of rocket ship shaped mercedes car is okay uh, yeah yeah yeah. With, with, with comically small wheels on it um it looks absolutely ridiculous but that's that's normally my my go-to setup and it's brought me you know relative success um you know as 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 has been hinted at bill was the uh the inaugural champion back in march i think you can have your your work cut out to defend that i think there's going to be a couple more serious contenders in in this go round. i think uh emily blag has been really uh, putting the hours in since we since we uh, last last uh, did a did a tournament, I think she could be a real one to watch. And oh, for sure, a couple of the, a couple of the new players as well. I think um, gonna, you wanna, you're going to be looking over your shoulder a bit more. I think. Listen, I I welcome the challenge, and just to be clear, I don't need you to send me a trophy, but I will DM you my address for just for hahas. You're gonna you're gonna call me out on your podcast. You're gonna get a damn trophy. I <laughs> love it. Okay. I'm I'm not gonna have I'm not gonna have the wider world think that I am a man who welches on his uh, on his I, wages or or on his promises. You know. I you, will you say receive a trophy in the post, my friend. I will say I I don't even remember how serious and like whether it was even like a spur of the moment thing when you like mentioned it midway through the the tournament you're like oh by the way there's a trophy on the line no it was always my intention to do that oh, okay. I, I was i was quite adamant when i first sort of said we're going to do a streamer invitation i was like no nah, and i'll send a just to kind of make it a bit more like oh i'll send a physical trophy to the winner that'd be pretty sweet although i think in my mind i thought maybe the winner was going to be in the uk <laughs> <laughs> damn so, americans that might have been part of the issue <laughs> Like I'll be able to drive this like ten minutes away and just hand it off. Exactly, and then you just came in and ruined it. This is classic Americans making it all about them. That's <laughs> why you can't take us anywhere. That's right. So yeah, I mean, looking forward to uh, making a what I'm sure will be a a very robust defense of the crown but we we shall see as i say i reckon there's a couple of uh, a couple of contenders coming in that we've not dealt with before <laughs> thank you for passing the triple threat wonderful answers we're going to be moving on to the next segment of the podcast that i like to call tip of the hat wag of the finger i don't know why i i went scottish on that one irish i don't was that what that was okay i, I went weird with it i i'm not proud of what happened so i'll give myself a wag of the finger for just flipping an accent into that. But I'm going to be the first person to throw a tip of the hat into the ring here. And just tip of the hat to the fact that the podcast is back, baby. Season two, Games That's of Our Lives. Towards, absolutely. Now, Martin, do you have a tip of the hat you'd like to share with the class? I, I do. Um, there was something that really caught my eye this week uh, that I did like retweet and, and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if you, if you saw this. Uh, 
and I don't think this is new information at all. I don't think someone discovered this as much as they kind of republicized it. And and I think was new information. To, well, it definitely was new information to a lot of longtime N64 fans. Um, this is to do with the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and the way that they solved the problem of how to have that big sky. Like when you're out in Hyrule Field or, or anywhere in the game, for that matter, that's, a, that's an outdoor area. Did you see this? And essentially, no. it's like... This is like game dev problem solving at, at its absolute best, I think. When you look up in, in Hyrule Field and, or wherever, what you see is this beautiful, you know, far-reaching blue sky. But the object in the game is actually a tiny cube that is quite difficult to explain this in audio. And I highly recommend I, I made a note of the, the person. I'm actually who- watching the video now, and it's okay, really nice. trippy. So Danny B two one eight nine two is the person that tweeted about it, and so, so I, I thought I'll, I'll have that ready so that I can direct people to go and see it. It's really awesome. The, the The sky is just this tiny little cube that encompasses the entire camera, but is drawn behind every other object in the game, so that when you've got a huge sprawling town like the the, the city or the, the the ranch or wherever it is. Uh, that slots in in front of what is actually a very small cube that's very close to you. It's really difficult to kind of explain that. And it's actually, I think, even quite hard to figure out when you're watching the video. But I thought it was really cool. And I think it's one of those things that it's really awesome that 25 years later, we're still... Uh, there's a, there's a, a guy, N64 Today is a, a, you know one of the bigger N64 fan accounts. He might even be the biggest N64 fan account on, on Twitter. And they retweeted it saying they didn't know about that, right? So if you know this is a guy who's very knowledgeable about his, uh, his N64 and um, I'm sure will have played Ocarina uh, several times over and that we're still able to be surprised and delighted by things like that was just something that really leapt out at me this week. I thought it was very cool. Man, that is really cool. Big tip of the hat there. I have a wag of the finger. It's to my son, Chalupa. The note that I wrote down is, cats, they do be pooping sometimes. (laughs) And uh, listen, he had an accident the other day, and I still haven't forgiven him. So wag of the finger to Chalupa. I'm just saying. Wag of the finger to Chalupa. As much as we love you. I mean, tip of the hat to your existence. You're the you know most beautiful gift that you know any deity could bless upon this planet. But sometimes they be pooping. But he's so cute. He's so damn cute. And so I saw cute. the picture that you put up of him in a little bow tie or whatever it was the other day. And come on, come on, you're, yeah. you're, gonna, stay, you're gonna stay mad at that cat for having a little poop. Listen, mad enough to like wag my finger at him on a podcast, but the second. The second this podcast is over, it's back to tip of the hat energy uh, immediately. Do you have a wag of the finger? I do. Uh, And I'm going to seem like my entire life is video games, which is completely accurate. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, my wag of the finger, it should, it's, well, it's a very exciting time for those of us who are fans of point and click games. uh, Okay. Particularly those of us who grew up in the 90s with all the LucasArts games like Grim Fandango and Monkey Island and so on, because in a couple of weeks, there's a new Monkey Island game coming out, Return to Monkey Island. And that is, it's the first new Monkey Island game in like 20 years. It's hella exciting. And no, and I don't count the Telltale ones, um, which came out more recently, but in the main Monkey Island series, it should be a very exciting time. Unfortunately, the moment has been 
soured somewhat by a small but vocal minority of quote-unquote Monkey Island fans who have taken issue with the art style of the game and have, and have set about a ludicrous campaign to get it changed. I mean, are, are you mad? The game's like weeks from release. They're not going to redo the entire art style to suit you. Um, so my wag of the finger goes to, I, I guess more broadly, gaming fans as a whole with that with that sense of entitlement. But specifically, it's to, to those people who are doing their level best to um, bring a cloud across a, a very happy time for us Monkey Island fans. I've never played a Monkey Island game, but it's always been like on the radar for me. I think you'd really like them. The first two are like virtually perfect. I think the third one is still really good as well. The fourth one, yeah, a bit, a bit iffy, to be honest. But the first three, for sure, well worth play. Very, very enjoyable games. Um, very funny. I think your sense of humor, I think it would appeal to you for, for, for the humor and, and the story. Okay. And the- and so on so I'd, I'd, I'd definitely recommend them and, and i'm excited for the new game it hasn't certainly hasn't diminished my enthusiasm for it but right. it's you the ron gilbert who's like the lead guy on it he's like the the, the, the game you know designer mm-hmm. spoken quite openly about how it's affected him and has made him feel quite negative about it and and that's a real shame i think that is look, a shame we, we, we all when if someone says there's a new monkey island game coming out I'm sure that we've all got things that we hope will be in it. But for me, I'm also very open to, to trusting the guys who made these games 30 years ago. Right. That were so great and were such an influence to me as a kid and still among my favorite games from that time and trust that they will get it right. And like, you don't like the art style, give it a chance. Give it a chance. That's all. And, and, and at the very least, if you don't like it that much, don't play it. Right. There you go. Bottom line. There's, there's no need to begin a campaign of hatred. And some of it has been, as you can expect, ludicrous. And look, I expect that kind of thing from Call of Duty fans. No offense. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? There, there are subsets of games. There are types that you expect to see this very rabid response in you know in relation to things like Halo and things like FIFA and 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 even listen. Like, here's the thing. Being a Nintendo fan for the better part of the last, you know, 33 years has really dullened my senses of anybody using the argument, but what about the graphics? Because, I mean, Nintendo's always a whole generation behind for the most part when it comes to graphics. Graphics don't mean everything, and sometimes it's an intentional art style, not even a graphic thing. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the case of Monkey Island, it's not that they couldn't make it look more realistic. It's that they've gone for a very heavily stylized right. look. It's got a kind of Picasso esque quality to it, very kind of angular features on the on the on the characters and so on. And okay, fine, is that the way I'd have designed it? Maybe not. I'd, who knows? But nobody asked me anyway, uh, and and I'm I'm open enough to go with it, right? And in terms of the the Nintendo, I mean. You say that. I think Odyssey looks great. I think Pikmin 3 looks great. I think Luigi's Mansion 3 looks great. Um, the, uh, you know, Mario Kart. I think all, all of the, the the heavy hitters look absolutely terrific. I've, I've never... It's never occurred to me that they should look... Right. ...more anything than what they... they I think they look fantastic. Oh, I agree. 
when you're playing Mario Odyssey, do you stop and think to yourself, oh, you know, you're in New Donk City where they've got some human characters, and you do you stop and think to yourself, well, these guys, I can't see their paws like I can in Red Dead Redemption Two. It's not, it's not that kind right. of game. It doesn't matter. Right. Like, <laughs> you don't need exactly you don't need that person to look more realistic to enjoy this game. I think some of the discussion around these types of things can can drift into the ludicrous. Although I did have like a thought while I was playing Odyssey the other day, I'm like. Odyssey came out in 2017, and this might still be the best-looking Switch game five years later. And I felt a little bit like, oh, like that's good and bad because the game, like, it's high praise for the game, but it's like, has it really not been another beautiful game since? What about um, Kirby? I-, I think Kirby's fine. Um, yeah, I think Kirby's fine. Like Kirby's Kirby to me, and I thought a lot of the settings were really cool, but. I wouldn't go around saying it has some of the best graphics, especially with a lot of uh, it has. It does a lot of this thing where and a lot of switch games have been doing this the last like two years or so, where whenever an object is at a certain distance, it's like frame rate drops significantly. So like in, in like, you know, Pokemon Legends Arceus had this problem as well. Where if yeah. you're more than like 15 feet away from a Pokemon or 15 feet away from an enemy in Kirby, they they run at like half the frames per second, and it does have like a jarring physical look, and that doesn't mm-hmm. really happen in Mario Odyssey, uh, just because. And, and if it does, you know, you don't notice it because there's just so much going on on screen. The Mario team, like, and and I guess this brings us back to Mario 64 in quite a, a tidy way, are. Uh, to my eyes, without peer, like they, they, when Mario 64 came out, okay, people make the argument for Banjo. I think Mario 64 is a much better platformer. I think Banjo's got it where it counts in terms of like the characters and the, the humor and stuff like that, that it does a lot more than Mario, obviously. But Mario 64 was the first game out on that console. And you wouldn't argue, I don't think, with anyone who said at the end of the N64's run that it was still the best game on that console. You know, Right. Sure, Arena, sure, Goldeneye, all the rest of it. I'm sure that plenty of people will prefer those, but you wouldn't you wouldn't really put up a strong argument to someone saying Mario 64 was the. Uh, and if you do want to, then my Twitter is at now and then 64. <laughs> 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 and 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 that's been the case. I think not so much Sunshine. You know, we know that that, that had its flaws for sure. But Galaxy, I, I don't think there's a game of its type through a 3D platformer in that generation that could touch Galaxy. And now again. They, they set the bar so high with Odyssey. Where do they go from here? We don't know. But but if anyone can do it, it's them. But only them. So, right. so yeah, is it the best looking game on the Switch five years on? It may well be. And it's certainly still among the, the top handful of games on the on the system altogether, you know, by any measure. Um, and that's just because the, that team is just so incredible. The, the, the imagination that they have to keep reinventing this character is, is bizarre and and no no one else has done it with the same success every time we think where can they possibly go with this character and so we're still thinking that now odyssey 2 if that happens or whatever the next thing is they will find some i've got nothing but faith that they will despite the incredibly high bar they've set themselves they will uh they will achieve it again yeah i i totally agree And, and while you were having this uh you know while we're having this discussion I actually came to the conclusion that the best looking game on the Switch is actually a game from 2014, uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. <laughs> yeah, and which it'd be hard to argue with that as well. Which is that, an eight-year-old game. So 
It's a gorgeous looking game. Oh, it's so beautiful. Even the new like booster course one. I know people were a yeah. little like eh on the visual presentation, but with booster course two, they really knocked a home run out of the park. I think it is a visually stunning uh, situation. I think I think there is still a sense that um, I think if they released a full Mario Kart game with the courses they've released so far, I think there would be rightfully some disappointment. But I think as a topper to what we already have, put it this right. way, that even in Wave 1 and 2, there has not been a, a level that has come close to Big Blue or, um, you know, in terms of the design, uh, you know, some of the, what, are, what are some of the other kind of really just like adventurous courses on the, on, on in the main game? You know, the Rainbow Road, for, for example. Right, right. The, the scale is definitely smaller for these booster course passes. And yeah. you can tell for the most part, I, I, my favorite level actually is Sydney Sprint, which is a port from really? the mobile game. As far as the new DLC goes, uh, yeah. my favorite DLC track thus far is Sydney Sprint and... I mean, it's just like a cityscape. It's it's fine. As far as like visually stunning levels and even just like intricate maps, the the booster course pass really doesn't do it the same way that the first run courses did. I think one problem is and we're at the time of recording this, we're a few weeks out. How long have those has that wave two been out? A month, maybe about a month, yeah. And, and so when a new wave comes out, obviously everybody wants to play the new courses, which is understandable. So you, you boot it up and you play those eight new tracks over and over again, right? And you wouldn't normally do that in the main game. You've got, how, what is it? Is it, how many are in the main game? 48? Or it's something? 48 in, for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, it's 48. Yeah, yeah. So what I say is, yeah, it, you, you can actually quite quickly, I think, if you are just limiting yourself to playing the the DLC courses, you probably will start to feel a bit bored of them quickly if, if you are just playing those. But what I think happens then a few weeks later, and you sort of see that now, if you're playing online, you're playing open lobbies, whatever it is, if if they are integrated as part of, you, you know, you and I both do this on our streams, we'll just open up the lobby, we'll play our, you know for a couple of hours, so you get a, right. a, a hell of a races into that time integrated into the main game in that way where you're not playing just the the dlc courses one after the other repeatedly you don't really notice that much and And it actually it becomes like refreshing to play some of the older courses like every once in a while i'll be like you know what i haven't played dragon driftway in a minute like i'm kind of here for this yeah you know i i whenever it pops up lately i've been picking mario circuit like the first one the opening level of mario kart 8 because like it's just good vibes. It's an unbelievable game. I think I am interested to see because because we felt that Wave Two had a, a bit more to it than Wave One. Right. I'm interested to see if that trend continues and actually if behind the scenes they are making them a bit more complex and a bit more intricate as they go through. And by the end of next year, when they're releasing Wave uh, the Wave Five and Six, what we see then, you know, I think that's right. going to be really to see if there is actually a a noticeable disparity because you know nintendo will have heard the feedback to wave one that was a bit cool and and kind of okay nice to have some new tracks but it doesn't quite measure up to what we've come to expect sure are they actually going to make those latest uh later waves closer to the main game that'd be really interesting i think right no i 100 percent agree time will tell i i assume that we'll end up getting 
you know, booster course three around Christmas time. And yeah, no, really, really interesting. We'll be following for sure. You know, this is a very Nintendo friendly podcast. So we do be bringing up new uh, Nintendo first party shenanigans regularly. Speaking of first party Nintendo shenanigans, you know, what games have uh, we been playing this week? Well, um, I don't have I been I haven't been playing any first party Nintendo <gasps> games. <laughs> if you can, Podcast cancelled. Such a thing. Um, it's, it's probably quite a rare occurrence to me. Um, I've been playing. I, I I play Rocket League basically every day. That's very much my kind of because it's nice and compact, and you know you can you can play that for fifteen minutes and play two matches or three right. matches. Time, right so it's kind of like okay i've got 15 minutes to kill i'll play a couple of games um so always playing rocket league um and yeah we should definitely get a, a game in of that but what i've been playing on stream and and what has been taking up my time uh and my and uh pushing my mental energy to its limits particularly last night is ukulele in the impossible lair uh that is um really enjoyable uh, so for, for those not aware, it's a 2D platformer in the vein of like a Donkey Kong Country. That's very much where it's kind of influenced from. Super fun. Looks great. Amazing soundtrack by David Wise and Grant Kirkhope. Ex- exactly what you would expect from them. Mm-hmm. Just a, a, a genuinely, a, probably like a better soundtrack than the game needs almost. Which I think is sort of something I would say about Diddy Kong Racing as well. That's Which is also David Wise. Like, right. I know there's a lot of memes floating around about like, uh, you know man asked to man asked to compose a bit of music about a monkey riding a swordfish and creates this transcendent piece of music and that's david white over <laughs> and um so and i think you know ukulele every single level is uh, an absolute banger and then I, i'm i'm at the impossible lair which is the final level now and uh it is no joke it is serious big boy business in there it's tough as rocks uh, so yeah, highly recommend if you're a fan of fast precision platforming in the vein of like Super Meat Boy and Celeste, to give a couple of more modern examples, yeah. or the old Donkey Kong Country games from from way back, Ukulele in the Impossible Lair is uh, an easy recommend and a, and a really tough one. I, I genuinely don't know if I'll be able to finish it or not. We'll see. I, I believe in you. I believe in you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. You definitely, listen, you've got the experience and, you know, once... The Impossible Lair is, for those who have not played the game, a an incredibly long level with a lot more danger involved. But the game gives you a buffer of having a whole bunch of hit points based on your progression through the game. You have the ability to challenge the Impossible Lair at the get-go. And there is an achievement for turning on the game, starting a new game, and beating the Impossible Lair on first run, which is absolutely insane i think the speed run record on the game is like 10 minutes and that and and it's funny because you can do like people say like the ocarina of time record is about like 15 minutes or something right but that's exploiting a load of glitches and stuff like that this is just playing the game right this is just playing the game theoretically as it's supposed to be played and just being just so sick at it that you can just do it without taking any damage and and i love 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 that they made the you know creative decision to have the sequel to ukulele be an ode to donkey kong country as opposed to its first attempt at being an ode to banjo kazooie which fell flat unfortunately Mm. and i think a lot of people were actually turned off of the impossible layer because of how underwhelming ukulele one was 
I would argue that Ukulele the Impossible Lair is one of the best 2D platformers that I've ever played in my life. Yeah. It is just between the tone it sets, the controls that it has, and the the atmosphere you're playing through and just how good everything feels. It, it really is uh, an incredible uh, platformer. So if 2D platformers are your bag, definitely check it out. Looks, uh, looks great as well. Really, really uh, just very visually appealing in its uh, like art style, just like really eye-popping colors everywhere. And, and you know, it's just a, a very, very attractive game to play and, and just very satisfying. But Bill, what have you been playing? Aside from the Splatoon 3 Splatfest, which we kind of already touched upon earlier, you know, I, I dabble in a little Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on the regular. Your Rocket League is my Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Mm -hmm. So I probably squeeze in two to three hours a week of that game just in my own time, not even on stream. Uh, but the game that I've been playing this week, and I just finished it a couple nights ago, is a little indie title called Eyelets. And what it is, is basically a, uh, a 2D platformer in the Metroidvania style. And it is, I want to say, from Armor Games Studio. And you basically play as this little mouse. Very big Hollow Knight energy in, in that, you know, wow. you're like a little cute character with a sword. And you're going around fighting monsters and stuff like that. It, you know, it's, yeah. I'd call it Hollow Knight Light. The game only took me about 15 hours to beat, and I'm pretty sure I 100%ed it. You know, not as difficult as Hollow Knight, definitely not as unforgiving, but a very, like, cozy 2D platformer. And, you know, for 15 bucks, it's it's tough to beat something like that, so I definitely recommend it. I'll probably uh, look into this. It, 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 it basically looks like... Um... To me, from these screenshots, it looks like Hollow Knight and Guacamole had a baby. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Honestly, Guacamole is a game that I really enjoyed as well. That looks to be, and it looks kind of in that sort of style where you you have that the platforming sections, and then you normally come to a room where the room will lock you in, and you do a bit of fighting in there, right? And then you, yep. uh, you move on, as you say, like a Metroidvania. Hollow Knight has the same kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I I may well look into it. It looks really fun. It's got another another one with a quite an appealing kind of art style that, that again is kind of looks to be between those two games as well. It's got some like fun little dialogue. Uh, you know the the map screen is very reminiscent of like Hollow Knight and Metroid, um, but it's I uh, I'm a fan. I recommend it, and you know it'll definitely be in my like probably annual to biannual rotation of all right. Let's run through this bad boy. Sounds like a sounds like a winner. I'll be I'll be sure to check it out, especially if it's uh, available at a a, a a cut price. Oh, absolutely! If you can nab it on sale, that like definitely definitely go for it. I think it's fifteen bucks. It might be twenty bucks, but overall, not bad. Now we've reached the point in the podcast where I just want to say, now and then, sixty four, Martin. Thank you so much. Uh, for being on the show. Thank you for being on the premiere episode of season two of the Games of Our Lives podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the right. show. Honor to, an honor to be invited. Thank you very much for having me on. We've uh, It's been grand because you and I have kind of known each other now for about two years since, and from, from pretty early on in both of our uh, streaming uh, quote-unquote careers. And, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been great. And, and, and this year, I think we've 
you know we've really pushed on and done a couple of really good collabs together and and this is a, a very natural um ex extension of that but it's been it's been great i mean as, as i said earlier being, being asked to talk about mario 64 that's a, that's an easy win for me um but no I've, it's been really enjoyable as well to just chat games with you in, in general and uh yeah i uh it's it's been terrific so thank you for for the invitation of course of course now now and then 64 you are on twitch at now and then 64 where else can everybody find you if you're on social media and you search for now and then 64 I, i'm bound to pop up uh, i'm not terribly active on instagram but twitter and and uh twitter and twitch is where you'll find me mostly uh so look look for now and then 64 and if you see the the green and pink color scheme then that's me uh, I usually stream Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday evenings UK time. So usually from about 8 p.m. Uh, to 11 p.m. UK time on those three days. I quite regularly. I don't like to book it in because I don't want to, uh, you know, restrict myself on the weeks that where I'm unable to do it. But pretty routinely, if I'm free on a Friday or a Saturday one weekend, I'll usually do something um, on a uh, on one of those days and and quite regularly do big event streams such as Mario Kart Invitationals, for example. It's the 15th of October, so do tune into that. Esteemed host, Builder for Heat, will be defending his crown uh, against myself and 10 uh, other really lovely streamers. I think one of the best things I'm sure you'll agree about the first one that we did back in March was actually the streamers themselves being introduced to each other and everybody, I think, finding one or two other streamers and channels that they really enjoyed and so I'm, I'm very confident and hopeful that that will happen again that that will continue and, and hopefully we can forge some beautiful new relationships and and uh and and as well as having a a spirited and friendly competition and of course having 12 people on voice chat which is just chaos as well i can't wait i can't wait to defend my title hopefully bring home the dub save you the uh the worries of getting a second trophy done up <laughs> and uh <laughs> i'm excited i mean I, ca I came second last time i think i'm gonna have my work cut out for me to retain to stay even that high i think because seriously there are going to be a couple of contenders and um yeah I'll be, I'll be i'll be scratching and clawing to retain my place on that podium i think i want to thank you all listeners for hanging out i hope you had a wonderful time you know, welcome to the new Games of Our Lives podcast. You can find information about the Games of Our Lives podcast over on twitter.com slash the games of our pod. We're also on Instagram at games of our pod. And you can find this show not only on Apple, not only on Spotify, but also on YouTube. We like to spread the love. And listen, if you have any comments, we would love to see them over on YouTube. My name is Bill the Fajita. You can find me on Twitch at Bill the Fajita. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening. And we can't wait for next time. <laughs>